Good evening. Let's make a start to the midweek as we turn to the hymn 437. Where he may lead me, I will go, for I have learned to trust him so. be seated. Let's bow together and seek the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to your house tonight and just now to your presence. We go beyond the rent field to stand before the majesty of God and we do so through the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. We thank you for the blood of the Lamb that has saved us and washed us and made us clean. We thank you for the standing that we have in Christ. We can say tonight, I am my beloved's and he is mine. And his banner over me is love. And we can say with a hymn writer, dear Savior, thou art mine. Thank thee for that personal living relationship that we have with the dear Son of God. For he has taken us into union with himself. He is the vine, we are the branches. Lord, we draw from him 
strength. And we pray that as we sit here tonight that we will draw from the great resources of our God. We thank you for your mercies that are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, we want to take a moment just to think about those that are in the darkness and in the trial. We pray for those that mourn tonight. Very conscious that within the free church family circle, little ones have been taken. And we remember the Higgins family tonight. We pray for them, that you will comfort them in their sorrow. We pray too for that family in Balamina Church, that you'll draw graciously near to them also in similar circumstances. We think of the McCluskey family in Coleraine connected to us just ever so little through the work here and yet there is that connection with them when we feel for them as their, their daughter has been taken into eternity. And then Lord we remember the sick of the church and those who need your special touch this very night. We pray for our sister Pat Mills that you will be gracious to her even in her weakness and when she's not well at this time may Jesus himself draw near and go with her. We think of the aged and the infirm. We think of some of our folks that are really struggling with, with health issues at this time. And for others, Lord, that are in a different kind of situation, but it's a dark place for them. We pray that you'll bring them to the light and bring them to a better day. Settle our minds and our hearts down in your presence tonight. Speak to us from your word as we come to it later. We thank you for a past week and all that has been done. We think of Youth Challenge on Tuesday night and the children that gathered out. We pray for the upcoming generation that you will be merciful to them. We covet these young people for the Lord in both the meetings. And Lord, we know that your word was sown into their hearts last Tuesday night. We do not depend upon ourselves, upon any skills that our workers might have. But we do depend upon the greatness of our God, his might, the power of the spirit, the power of the word to change these young lives. Lord, you can do it for your glory. And as a result, you can change families. Many a child has gone back with the word of God in their heart, memory verses to repeat. And parents have listened to these things and have been convicted. Children that have professed faith in Christ and have gone back to be a witness in the home Oh, Lord, we pray that such things will be a reality and that we'll see not only the children of Youth Challenge brought to a saving faith in Christ, but even the families as well. Send the breath of God in these days. Lord, we feel the, the dearth of our country spiritually. We sense the, the awful falling away from, from the truth of God. But Lord, when you come in the reviving work of the Spirit, you turn the hearts of people unto God. And that revival begins in the church. That revival is the church getting right with God. That revival is the church set on fire by the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens and that thou wouldest come down. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee. Oh, Lord, do it for your glory and for the good of the church. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity of being in schools this week. 
one in the week past, one tomorrow. Again, Lord, to present Christ to these young lives. We thank you, Lord, that these children are hearing the gospel. And Lord, we know that you will you'll work because you promised to do that. Your word will not return unto thee void. And Lord, you've said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. We also, Lord, this night, remember little Savannah down in the, the Royal Victoria, this little girl from our Sunday school who hasn't been well. We thank thee that there's been a little improvement and we pray for the touch of the Lord. We pray that you'll raise her up for the glory of the Lord and be with this family in their time of great need. Hear and answer our prayers tonight. We ask everything through Christ our Redeemer. Amen. 440. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me thy way. Thy gracious aid afford. Teach me thy way. <clears throat> we trust and pray tonight that's the desire of our heart that's been our prayer as we've come to the meeting and as we've sung these beautiful words teach me thy way do you pray it often do you ask the Lord to guide you and keep you in the center of his will every day that's a prayer that you ought to offer to him even now teach me thy way because we're going to come to think about the will of God tonight can I bid you welcome uh, to you that are here and those that are joining us on the internet can I remind you that tomorrow in our school it's an open day and that's from 3 o'clock until 7. So keep that in mind. Pay the school a visit and encourage them here. On Friday evening, Jonathan will be speaking to our young people at 8 o'clock. And on the Lord's Day, the prayer meeting is at 8 a.m. Sunday school, 10.30. Bible class, quarter to 11. Worship service, 12 noon. And our gospel meeting at 7 want to say a word of congratulations to Samuel 
sitting down there at the back on being elected as a new elder of the church. Um, we trust that the Lord will bless him. He's still another hurdle or two to get through, but uh, hopefully it's all a formality. <coughs> I want to remind you again that there's a special memorial service for the life and legacy of our brother, Dr. Bill Woods, on the 3rd of December at 3.30. And if you need transport, we're laying the transport on, and please put your name on the sheet provided. Do that soon so that we can count you in. And you need to fill in the other sheet for the Christmas dinner if you're hoping to be with us on that night, Wednesday the 20th, 6.30 for 7 o'clock. And that's just for our friends who um, maybe speak another language. The school's carol service, Friday the 8th of December. We want you to be in prayer for that. That'll be at 12 noon. Uh, we have already purchased 500 selection boxes for the school's uh, carol service, the youth challenge, the Sunday school children. And if you wish to give any assistance towards that or gift envelopes and we have received a number of gifts and I'm sure that already um, two-thirds of the cost has been provided so we're very thankful about that. Can I mention a new book that has been published and this book is entitled The Son of the Living God and these are Bible notes in John's Gospel and that's the book there. It's by Dr. the late Dr. Alan Kearns. Uh, many years ago in Balamoney, he did a series in the, the Gospel of John, and he gave to the congregation notes uh, from the Gospel of John, and this is what we have here in print. The price is £6.95, and we... Mervyn, where did he go when he came in? Mervyn, you go. We can sell this tonight, all right. Okay, so you see, Mervyn, all, any proceeds, any money that's left over will go in its entirety to support the work of our Christian school. So keep that in mind. You'll, you'll want to buy these. You'll want to buy them for your friends for Christmas. So get in early. These are all, uh, by way of announcement just now, there's a few other things to say before we come to prayer. But we'll sing again, um, 457. We're going to try the tuning the hymn book, are we? We'll try it. Does anybody know this hymn? Precious promise God has given to the weary passerby. On the way from earth to heaven, I will guide thee with mine eye. And the theme is, I will guide thee with mine eye. Who knows it? One person. How do you feel about a solo? Definitely not. De definitely not. Well, we'll ask Elaine if she will play the tune. She doesn't know it either, so that doesn't help. <laughs> Is there another tune? <laughs> okay, there's not another tune, so 
Uh, how do you feel about it? Okay, just keep your seats. And I'll, I'll, I'll be scanning. I'll be scanning now to see who's trying their best. <clears throat> Precious promise God has given. When this is being broadcast, Samuel, make sure this mic is way, way down. In fact, make sure it's off. All right. Switch over to the congregation. I know you do that, but just it's definitely important just now. Okay, thank you. So it's a beautiful hymn, but it's just difficult to get onto that tune, all right? When temptations almost win thee, and thy trust watchers fly, let this promise ring within thee, I will guide thee with mine eye. When thy secret hopes have perished in the grave of years gone by, let this promise still be cherished. I will guide thee with mine eye. And the final verse, when the shades of life are falling and the hour has come to die, hear thy trusty leader calling, I will guide thee with mine eye. We're not going to put you through any agony of singing these verses. <clears throat> but we've, we've read it. <clears throat> and as you look at the words, I pray that they will be a help to you. Even now as we come to Romans chapter 12, and we deal with the subject, how to determine the will of God. If you didn't make it in for the announcement of, of this book, the notes of the late Dr. Cairns, it's for sale from tonight onwards. You will be the first people uh, to get it. And the price is six ninety-five. <coughs> Uh, let's read together from the book of Romans, and we're reading from verse 1. This is a, a verse that I have on my daily prayer booklet. I'm not Anglican, they have their prayer book, but I have a prayer booklet, things that I want to remember every day. And then things that I pray about each day of the week. So seven days uh, has a particular theme each day. Things that we want to remember. But this is a daily prayer. As we give ourselves to the Lord each day. I beseech you therefore brethren. By the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable unto God. Which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, our ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth and teaching, or he that exhorteth and exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to every heart. We've indicated that we want to speak on the subject, how to determine the will of God. And we're thinking about not just verse 1, but the opening two verses of Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God is the most important consideration for any child of the Lord. In fact, to do the will of God is a proof and a sign of our conversion. Remember Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is 
in heaven. To be in the center of God's will is the place of joy, contentment, peace, satisfaction. It's the best place. It's the happiest place. And really it's the only place that you want to be. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And I wonder tonight, can you say that? I delight to do the will of God. Whatever the will of God is for me, I delight to do it. Now that doesn't mean that God's will is easy to know. Sometimes the will of God can be the most difficult thing on earth to find. I can remember many years ago uh, talking to Dr. Paisley on the phone and it was about the will of God and I was seeking out my future and he said, you know, sometimes the will of God is very difficult to find. But when you find it, you'll have a tremendous peace in your heart. There is much soul searching, heart agony, sometimes even despair and despondency before the light finally dawns. To know the will of God requires much diligence, patience, seeking, meditation, and guidance. So even though you delight to do God's will, sometimes it's difficult to know what God's will is. Furthermore, it doesn't mean that God's will is easy to do. Sometimes we're asked to do things that are very difficult. To go places. To speak to people that we would naturally shy away from. To engage in, in something, some Christian service and we find it difficult and hard. Think of the Savior and the cup that he was called upon to drink. Now, that was a difficult thing to do. Indeed, in Gethsemane, he prayed, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Often we must pray the prayer of David when he said, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. So even though we delight in God's will, sometimes it's not easy to know. Sometimes it's hard to do. And sometimes it's not easy to understand. You may not always understand the way that God leads. Because his ways, the Bible tells us, are past finding out. We can't always interpret providence. That which comes our way, the the circumstances that we find ourselves in. But we can get to the place where Job got to. When he said, he knoweth the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I'll come forth as gold. And really Job is saying, I don't understand. And I don't fathom the way that God is leading me and bringing me through this awful trial. But God knows the way that he's bringing me. And Job simply trusted in that. Having said these things, the will of God is the best place. You take Joseph for an example, and as you think of his life and the will of God in his life, I suppose there are two outstanding things about God's will in the life of Joseph that are probably pretty true in the life of us all. The first one is that the will of God is not always an easy path. We we have touched on that already. For Joseph, it meant receiving the envy 
and jealousy and anger of his family. His brothers hated him. Being man-handled, thrown into an empty pit, that was the will of God for Joseph. Being sold as a slave to the Ishmaelite merchant men. Being taken away from his home where he was loved dearly by his father who mourned for him day after day thinking that he was dead and devoured. Being sold into Egypt, into the home of Potiphar. Being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of evil and lust. Being imprisoned in the darkest, most secure jail. Being forgotten about in prison by him who was released. This was not an easy path as you study the life of Joseph. All those years in his life, difficult to interpret, I'm sure you'll agree. But the will of God for Joseph also meant the blessing of Almighty God. Joseph was protected from death for some of his brothers intended to kill him. Joseph was blessed and promoted in Potiphar's house. Joseph was favored by the jailer. Joseph was granted wisdom and divine insight to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Joseph was elevated to the position of prime minister in the land of Egypt. Joseph was providentially in that land during the famine so that he could provide for his family. He was in a position to give his family the land of Goshen when they came eventually to live in Egypt. And Joseph obtained a great blessing from his father before he died. There is no doubt that the will of God being where God wants you to be is the happiest and the most blessed place to find yourself in. Despite any cost, sacrifice or difficulty. Because that is the place of divine favor. Where you will receive the benediction of heaven and receive the presence of God with you. And my desire is that you may know the center of God's will in your life and pursue it. Some of the, the points that I'll make tonight will be quick. The third point, we will labor a little bit more on it because it will be the center of the message. But let's think about the particulars of God's will in the first place. Paul uses three adjectives to, to show us what God's will is. It's good. It's acceptable. It's perfect. That word good is really indicating that it's good in itself. It's good for us to be in the center of God's will. No matter what circumstances we are in, even if it is adverse circumstances, it's still a good place to be because that's where God wants us to be at that moment. It's not only good, but it is acceptable. And that word means well-pleasing. It's well-pleasing to God. You know, it pleases the Lord that you're walking in the center of his will. The only way to obtain the favor and the blessing of God is to conform ourselves to his will. So it's pleasing or acceptable to God. And you'll find that it will be pleasing to yourself. You'll come to that place of acceptance when you're in the center of God's will. And then he said, it's perfect. Perfect. Nothing can be added to it. 
It's just the right place to be. And then I think about the parts of God's will. And there are two important parts or aspects of the will of God that we, we ought to, to note. There is what I would say is the general will of God. And then there is the particular will of God. By general, I mean those things that are right and, and binding for every Christian. There are things that I, I don't need to pray about. Things that I don't need to ask God about because God has already shown me in his word regarding these things. For example, prayer. I don't need to come and ask the Lord, should I pray? Jesus says men ought always to pray and not to faint. And the Bible is filled with exhortations to the people of God that we should be engaged in the business of prayer. Think about Bible study. You don't need to ask God, should I study the Bible? Of course we should. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I don't need to, to pray about witnessing. Should I witness? Now sometimes we might need to pray, should I witness to that individual or ask the Lord to bring somebody into our path that we witness to? But I don't need to ask the Lord about the subject of being a witness for him. Because he's already told me, ye are my witnesses. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me, said the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in his word, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. That's what witnessing is. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So that's not a matter that I need to bring before the Lord. That's God's will for my life. I don't need to ask God about holy living. Should I live a holy life above the things of this world and be upright and honest and godly? Of course I should. We're to be dead to sin. And we are to live unto righteousness. It's what the Bible teaches through and through, Old and New Testament alike. On the matter of separation, God wants us to be separated. A separated people, separated from the world. Should I walk in the world? I wouldn't need to pray a prayer like that. Should I be separated from the world? I shouldn't need to pray a prayer like that either. For the Lord has already told me what his mind is. What his will is. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And of course, to be separated ecclesiastically from the apostasy of today. Don't need to pray about that because the Lord has said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins. I don't need to pray about fellowship. Should I fellowship with God's people? Should I attend church? Should I be there in the place of worship? Of course I should. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We are to be there with the other members of the body of Christ. And what about joy? Well, God gives you a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. It's his will for you to be filled with joy. So these are general things. And I could mention so many others. As you read the word of God, the Lord has revealed his mind for every Christian. No matter how old or young you are, no matter what part of the world you come from, what nation you live in, doesn't matter. Here's the mind of God for every single child of God throughout the world. But then you see there is the particular will of God. 
And I mean that which is special, specific, particular, and personal to you and I as individuals. This is God's specific will for your life. And it's something that you must find out for yourself. No one can tell you what that is. Because that's between you and the Lord. They can advise you. They can counsel you. They can give you guidance. But at the end of the day, only you will know what that special will of God is for you. The third point brings us to the pathway of God's will. And this is the heart of the message, really. It's not always easy to ascertain God's will for your life. And often, as we've said, it's the most difficult thing to discover. But I want you to think about the following. It's, it's first of all, a pathway of supplication. If I am to learn what the will of God is for my life, the perfect and the particular will of God for my life, I must make it a matter of earnest prayer. I need to get before the Lord on my knees, in other words. And we have the example of the Apostle Paul right from day one, the day of his conversion, in Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's a prayer, seeking out the mind and the will of God. Lord, what will you have me to do? If you want to know the way ahead, if you want to know what to do in the, the midst of a crisis, if you want to know the solution to a problem, the right decisions to make, go to the Lord in prayer. I was thinking about Ezra chapter 8 and verse 21 in a time of great need in the nation. And he says, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Seeking the Lord. That's what Ezra did. Got before the Lord. Others joined him too to pray. To seek him that he might know the right way. Want to know the right way, don't you? It's certainly a path of prayer. It's not only a path of supplication, it's a path of scripture. You know, there are at least four things that come together, blend together in God's will. The first one is a desire. You want to have a desire in your heart to do God's will. That's how we feel led. That's what the Lord seems to be saying to us. And I have a desire to do that. I have a willingness to go. And we're thinking here especially about serving the Lord in the local church further afield, but there needs to be a desire. The second thing is circumstances. And not by themselves. Just because you find yourself in a certain set of circumstances does not mean this is the will of God for your life. It can be often totally misleading. Think of Jonah and his escape from the will of God. And yet his circumstances, you could say, were all coming together. He was able to get down to Joppa, which was the seaport, unhindered. There was a ship waiting right there in the harbor that could take him. It was just about to sail. He hadn't missed it. 
It was going to Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction that God had called him to go. And there was room for him on that ship. The captain was willing to take him on board and he had the money to pay the fare. So Jonah might have said, my, all these circumstances are working to my favor. I must be in the center of God's will. But that was far from the case. So I'm just saying circumstances by themselves can be misleading. But you certainly need the circumstances in your life that opens the door for you to serve the Lord. Desire, circumstances. The third thing is opportunity. That just simply means that a door, an effectual door opens up that you can go through and do what you believe is the will of God. But there's a fourth thing. And this really binds all the rest together. And what is it? It's the word of God. It's the confirmation of God from his word in your heart that you know this is his mind. And that is most important. Absolutely essential. The call and the seal of God is vital to have. And we should be looking for that. Guidance in the word. How do you get that? By coming, I would suggest to you, in your daily readings, wherever you're reading from, not trying, trying to find the suitable place that's going to fit what you want to do, but just as you bear your heart before the Lord and you come to him and you're seeking him in prayer, you ask the Lord, what is your will? And you continue to read where you have been reading in your daily devotions and he will direct your way undoubtedly. Let me share with you part of my personal testimony as to how God in his mercy and providence has led me. I have never in my life taken an important decision, a vitally important decision without being certain in my heart this is the mind of God. I've never moved without that conviction of soul. This is where God wants me to go. And I suppose after marriage, and I prayed about that too, and I know I'm in the center of God's will. He confirmed that. But after marriage, there were four major steps that I took, four major moves in my life. The first one was to Bible college. The second one was to leave Northern Ireland and to go to Oulton Broad where I served the Lord for almost four years. The third one was to go to the most easterly point of Ireland, Port of Ogie, the fishing village. When I went there, I knew this was the mind of God. And the fourth one was to come here to Balamoney, which is almost 27 years ago. will be on the 5th of December. <clears throat> Consider how God led me into the ministry, for example. I was always interested in full-time service. And God began to work in my heart, particularly from 1979. I had a desire. He said, that's the first thing you need to have. I had a desire in my heart. I felt called. I was often touched in meetings that spoke about full-time service, even missionary work. I was moved when I heard the challenge of God's word on the subject of serving God. And that's good, but it wasn't enough. But I had the desire. And then the circumstances. They were favorable. I would enjoy every encouragement from my family. And that's good to have. Some people don't always have that. But I knew that if I went to serve the Lord, that my mother and father would 
be 100% behind me. And not only the support of my family, but I knew that I would have the support, the prayerful support of a congregation in Portadown where I attended, that they would be behind me also. And I enjoyed working for the Lord. My friends and I used to talk very often about this matter, about serving God. Those were special days. I, I refer to them sometimes in Portadown. Young people growing up with that evangelistic fervor burning in their heart, not needing really to be told or coerced to do God's work. Of course, it was preached on. But we did it because we wanted to do it. And the Lord was moving in the hearts of our young people. And they had a desire to be at prayer meetings. They had a desire to go on outreach. They had a desire to get involved in mission work. And we certainly had that. And there were three young men in particular. And there, there were others in the church. And they, they went into Bible college at the same time. But there were three of us that used to run around together. One was a young man called John Gray. And another was a young man called David Greenaway. And I've told you before about the tragic death of David as a young man of 16. And he was killed in a motorbike accident. And we used to talk, the three of us, about serving the Lord, going into full-time work. And David was convinced in his heart that God was calling him into the ministry. And I tell you, circumstantially, that was a real challenge to me. But I can remember saying at the time, when God took David from this world... Lord, I'm prepared to go in the place of David Greenaway if that's what you want me to do. So the circumstances were there. And the opportunity was there. I had already opportunities, as many of you do, to serve the Lord in Sunday school work. Such was the move of God in those days. Everybody was brought on board to, to be a Sunday school teacher. I was a Sunday school teacher uh, as a young teenager. There was one particular Sunday there was a record attendance at Sunday school of 446 children powerful and we were serving the Lord on outreach work Thursday night was the the night that we went out door to door and I was teamed off in those days paired off in those days with uh, Paul Briggs some of you know Paul uh, missionary to Africa we got involved in the missions so there were those opportunities just to, to serve the Lord. And of course, we had our own Bible college to go to. So that there was an opportunity to train. The desire, the circumstances, the opportunity. But didn't I tell you the word of God brings it all together, puts the seal upon it. And that was so vital to receive. And God confirmed all this through the scripture. And I was brought to the place through God's word where I believed going to the Whitfield College of the Bible was God's will. I applied to the Whitfield College initially, you maybe remember this, to do two years. Um, I hadn't at that stage thought of the ministry, but when I was there in the interview, the interview panel, I think they were throwing this out to young men in those days that were just coming in to do two years. Have you prayed about the ministry? No. We think you should. And so I began to pray about the ministry and prayed for a few weeks. There was no answer, so I stopped praying about it. I said, maybe this is not for me. But I went to a special meeting that was celebrating 30 years of the Free Presbyterian Church 
starting. And that was on the 14th of March, 1981. I was already accepted to go to college. I was preparing to go to the college in that September time. And for whatever reason, whatever was said that night, whoever said it, I can't fully remember, but I decided I need to go home and pray about this matter again. And so I got earnestly before the Lord and asked the Lord to show me. And the very first dealing of the Lord in my life was from 2 Corinthians in the chapter 3 and verse 6. I was asking, Lord, do you want me to go into the ministry? And verse 6 says, Who also have made us able ministers of the New Testament? Well, I couldn't be made an able minister unless I did the theological course and did the ministerial uh, studies. Uh, I was almost sure that God was really speaking through that verse, but then, very, very powerfully, another confirmation came. It was on a large day. It was the 12th of April, and it was at 11.30 at night, and it was from First Timothy. I was reading this. These were my, my daily readings at the time. And First Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 really spoke to me where the apostle says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And as I read on into the next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 7, it says, whereunto I am ordained a preacher. And I knew in my heart, well, I could not be put into the ministry and I could not be ordained as a preacher unless I did the four years of the theological studies at the Whitfield College of the Bible. And so I had this word from the Lord. Not only <clears throat> is it a pathway of scripture and a pathway of supplication, but to do God's will very often is a pathway of sacrifice. There must be a readiness to lay down everything for the Lord. A willingness to give up anything that you believe God is asking you to give up, to take up your cross and follow him. To say with Peter, we've left all. God may call for sacrifice of something in our lives. That might be your personal ambition. Whatever it is in your life and you really feel this is what you want to do and maybe you're doing it today, it might be giving up your personal ambition. It might be giving up financial gain, counting all but loss for Christ. It may even involve family companionship. Think of the missionaries particularly. They leave their father and their mother. If they're not married, if they are married, they, they go with their wife. If they have a family, they go with their children. But still they're leaving home. They're leaving their loved ones behind. And that's a sacrifice that they make. It might involve leaving the, the luxuries that we enjoy in this western part of the world. You know, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. Think of Moses. Moses got to the place of sacrifice. Everything lay at his feet. He was destined to become great. Indeed, the next ruler in Egypt, he would have been the Pharaoh. But we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 24 that by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, 
choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses got to the place of consecration and sacrifice to the Lord. And I think you can say the same about Matthew. When you think of Matthew's call to the discipleship, and I'm going to read the account that is given to us in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, and verse 27. After these things, Jesus went forth and, and saw a publican named Levi, Levi and Matthew, the same person, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me, and look at verse 28, and he left all, rose up, and followed him. To do the will of God in the right way means that you are prepared to do what Matthew did, to leave all and follow Christ. Wasn't this the case with Peter? In Luke chapter 18 and verse 26, And they that heard that said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And the Lord reminds him, Whatever you've had to leave as far as this world is concerned is really nothing compared to the exchange. The exchange rate is very good. What God gives you, what God compensates you with what Peter says we've left all and I think you can ascertain that this was also the testimony of the great apostle for in Philippines chapter 3 in his testimony he speaks about what he gave up though I might also have confidence in the flesh if any other man thinketh that he hath, he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh I more and then he gives his pedigree circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin and Hebrew of Hebrews as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal persecuting the church touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless but what things were gained to me those I counted loss for Christ yea doubtless and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ and being found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I give up everything. Everything that I was religiously. All this background that I was blessed with as far as the Jewish religion was concerned. Give it all up for the sake of Christ. So it is a pathway of sacrifice. It's a pathway of submission. It is to get to that place where you say in your heart, not 
my will, but thine be done. Even Jesus said, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Sometimes it is hard to accept the will of God. Especially when it goes against the grain. When it's, when it's not our way. But we need to get to the place of submission. Didn't Eli get to that place in a very difficult time when, when young Samuel told him what was going to happen to his family and what was going to happen to his rebellious sons? Do you remember what Eli said in 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 18 when, when Samuel told him everything? He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. It's the Lord. He has spoken. Let the Lord do what his will is. Think of Paul's friends. They were heartbroken because of what was going to happen to their, their dear friend. And in the book of Acts chapter 21, let me read these verses from verse 11. And when he was come unto us, he, he took Paul's girdle. This is the prophet that was called Agabus. And he bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He's speaking about Paul, the beloved preacher. When he goes to Jerusalem, all will not be well with him. And he's going to be bound. And he's going to be delivered into the hands of the Gentiles, wicked people. Verse 12, and when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. It's what you might say, don't go, Paul. If this is what's going to befall you, you're in danger, you're going to be imprisoned, you're going to be in peril of your life, don't go, Paul. But Paul in verse 13 answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. After those days, we took up our carriages and we went up to Jerusalem. When he wouldn't be persuaded, they came to the place of submission, even though it was difficult. And they said, the will of God be done. That's resignation. God's way and his will is always best. Never set yourself against that will. And then there's just one final little point to make, and that's the proving of God's will. Paul talks here about proving the will of God in our text. Listen to it, Romans 12 and verse 2. Having said to present your bodies, he says, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is as we present our lives in true consecration to the Lord 
as we read in verse 1, and turn away from all forms of worldliness in behavior, in practice, in thinking, as is brought out at the beginning of verse 2, that we prove before God what his will is. You're going to discover the particular and special will of God for your life. Well then, it will be through three things. The first thing will be presentation. Verse 1, you'll present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And you will do it on the basis of what Paul says. The mercies of God. That will be your, your motive. That will be the driving force behind you just coming to the altar of sacrifice and saying, Lord, I'm putting myself on that altar. Here am I, whatever your will is for my life, whatever the sacrifice, I'm prepared to make it. I'm prepared to do it. Giving it all to the Lord. And let these mercies of God be your motivation. Come honestly before God. And say, here am I, Lord. I give myself to thee. I hold nothing back. I lay all on the altar. In order to know the mind and the will of God, there is an unconditional handing over of your life. So there is presentation. The second thing is there is rejection. What is the rejection? It's of the world. The opening part of verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conformed means fashioned. It means configured or like. You could put any of those words in there. Be not like the world. Be not configured to the world. Be not fashioned like the world. And the world, this word in the original language is referring to the evil age of this world. The spirit of worldliness. We're surrounded every day by worldliness. We're not to be like the world. We're not to pattern ourselves as unto the world. The Christian who wants to live right and to know the will of God is not to be influenced and motivated by the world, such as language that is dirty and filthy, such as the singing of scurrilous songs, such as the, the reading of filthy books or magazines or nowadays on the internet, such as the, the wearing of provocative and tempting attire. For there is a way before God that a woman should be dressed, such as being engaged in questionable pastimes or associating with, with, with others intimately when you ought not to be running around with worldly companions. Uh, but this, there's hardly an end to the list that you can make here. The child of God is not of this world. That, that's really what I'm saying. We are not to fall in with the fleeting fashions of this world. We are not to style ourselves after the, the trends and the patterns of an ungodly society. We're not to allow ourselves to be, to be molded and controlled by the spirit of this age. Sadly, some professing Christians hanker 
after the things of this earth. And they spend their time laying up treasures upon the earth. They are influenced by worldly things more than spiritual things. Such Christians are not going to prove the perfect will of God for their lives. No, we are to be non-conformists as far as the world is concerned. So there's presentation, giving your life. There's rejection, and that is of the world. And then this transformation, as the rest of verse 2 speaks about. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We, un- we are to undergo a deep abiding change of mind and will. It's a renewing of the mind. Not merely our thinking and our reasoning, but more especially our heart. The inner being. Because that's, that's really the force of what is being said here. And this is a work of the Holy Ghost. Let the Spirit of God move and transform our inner lives that we might be what God wants us to be. And then you will prove what God's will is. Isn't that where you want to be? Isn't that what you're looking for? Well, I trust that you will find it. The good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God for your life. Amen. 470 says, Thy sweet beloved will of God, my anchor ground, my fortress hill, my spirit's silent fair abode, in thee I hide me and am still. They're just little short verses of this hymn, but it speaks about God's will. Let's stand and sing together, please.
may be seated. I'm going to run through some prayer requests very quickly, and then we're going to get to prayer. And then um, there's maybe some other things to say at that stage when we're offline, but we want you to pray for Israel, all that's happening there. And you know there's exchanges going on to try and get some of those who have been abducted and taken away released. Pray for Ukraine, always in our hearts. And remember these folks, particularly Dr. Tom Geddes, that we asked you to pray for, get out of hospital on Monday night, and he is convalescing at home. Derek McLaughlin is down in Antrim Hospital in the Macmillan unit. Remember him before God, remember the school's ministry, youth fellowship tomorrow night, and all the others that are on our prayer list. And please, please add our sister Pat Mills to that as well. With the opportunity to be in this lagging uh, during the week, uh, these were the children. I just happened to capture that whenever they were looking around at something. All right, so they weren't looking forward, but a great opportunity. And tomorrow at one o'clock, we are in Colcrow in the will of God. Thank the Lord for the special effort made on Sunday morning with the children, and they, they were able to come in and get something to eat. And uh, just to get their sugar intake into them, you know, make sure they were active and willing to, to listen in Sunday school. So these are some of the children uh, very happy to receive that which was given out. Uh, I came over, I didn't take anything, I just was there in the background. But the children really enjoyed all that was before them. And then on Monday at the Hebron Tots, the, the children were uh, in their craft class. And you may have seen some of these photographs on the internet, but we appreciate all that's done with the children Monday by Monday and the dedication of our workers there. Kirsty continues to serve the Lord. She's been in the Netherlands. This is one of the cities in the Netherlands going out into the open air. And they were standing on this cold day just singing the gospel. They'd organized other special meetings, invited people to come in and presented the word of God uh, to them. So pray for Kirsty and her studies. Pray for our missionary weekend in January. We're asking to do that now. It's Friday the 12th through to the Lord's Day the 14th. And we'll have various reports and challenges to make in the course of that weekend. We say goodnight to those that are joining us on the internet tonight. Thank you for being part of our midweek service. May the Lord bless you as we now come to our season of prayer.